Hey guys, it's Rachel. Welcome back to Progressive You. So, you know, today's a beautiful day. Earlier, Jack and I were out canvassing for Gloria Johnson's state house campaign for District 13. Uh, we definitely encourage all of our listeners to uh, become involved and uh, join phone banks and canvassing because it's just a great way, you know, to, I guess, give back to your community. I don't know if it would be considered. Yeah, and if you're in Tennessee, you can contact us. If you're not in Tennessee, we know mm-hmm. all of our listeners, it's not a Tennessee-centric show. There are people you can contact. Um, you can tweet at the show. We can find some resources for you. But yeah, it's really important to stay involved. I also wanted to say that I've just now become an official field organizer for the Gloria Johnson campaign, which I'm really excited about. And Rachel has a couple more announcements. Yes. Um, also, last Sunday, Jack and I both graduated high school. So we are officially um, you know, graduated and ready to take on our next step. Um, for college and you know as as you guys should know uh, when we move to DC we will be continuing our podcast so that's really exciting so uh, first things uh, is that in Georgia you know the primary happened what was it on Tuesday Mm -hmm. Uh, so Jack why don't you talk a little bit about the exciting results that came from that race right so there were primaries in I think four or five states on Tuesday and one of them was as you said in Georgia um, there were lots of state house and state senate races, which we'll get into in a second. But the big one that has made nas- national headlines is the governor's race, in which Stacey Abrams and Stacey Evans faced off. Stacey Abrams won pretty comfortably, and she is now the first ever major party nominee for governor who is a black woman. Um, she is the Democratic nominee down there in Georgia. And something that's interesting about the dynamics of this race and something that's been covered a lot, I think, so we'll get past this as fast as we can, but we have to say it, is that a, a lot of the, um, recently we've seen our revolution in Justice Democrats and a lot of those more progressive groups, the PCCC pitted against things like the DCCC, the DNC, and the DSCC a little bit um, in terms of primaries. What was interesting about this case is Stacey Abrams was an Our Revolution candidate. Um, and of course, that's the group that Bernie Sanders um, started and or it started after his campaign. It's independent of him now, but it endorses progressive candidates. But she was not, I mean, it was a primary. She wasn't endorsed by the DNC or anything like that. But it seemed like a lot more establishment Democrats were excited about her candidacy and about what she brought to the table. And she is now going to have a race in the general election against one of two Republicans who they'll decide in the runoff um, in a, a Georgia, which is a red state, but it's a state that's been increasingly trending blue as Atlanta, the blue vote there is starting to kind of um, outpace the rural red vote. There have been Democratic governors there in the past. It's been a while. Something that was interesting about that strategy and got a lot of coverage was Stacey Evans, the losing Democratic candidate, put a lot of focus on trying to sway, um, you know, white, more rural kind of Trump ish, you know, Republican voters, more moderate voters, basically. And Stacey Evans, or excuse me, Stacey Abrams said no to that. And she said, I want to capture the progressive voice and I want to keep people excited. And that's something kind of we've been touching on a lot is there's this fight within the Democratic Party of do we try and sway more towards the right in order to attract moderate voters or do we excite the progressive base? Yeah. And, you know, if you look at where or how the country is divided, I mean, so many Republicans are uh, not going to be thinking, uh, oh, wow, this moderate Democrat is more like my views. I should vote for them. You know, they're going to people are often pushed to the most ideological they are, you know, during election season. So it makes sense that people are more likely to support more progressive candidates. There was recently an interview with Bernie Sanders, and he talked about this and talked about how the establishment needs to be supporting more progressive candidates. You know, it gets people excited. It gets people more involved and more likely to vote. And 
Um, so I think that that's definitely going to be a trend that we'll see in the upcoming midterm election. Um, another exciting win in Georgia was for Ayesha Yacoub. I'm not exactly sure if I'm pronouncing that name right, so I apologize if I'm not. She is a Muslim American woman uh, and won the Democratic nomination for State House District 97, which is right outside of Atlanta. And so this is another example of women of color and minority women um, coming together and, you know, finally breaking the glass ceiling. Yeah, and there's an interesting race I wanted to get to, too, that I think has gotten a little less coverage. Some junkies may have heard of it. Um, there was this ad that went out earlier this year of a former um, uh, female fighter pilot who was running for Congress in Kentucky uh, around the Lexington area in the 6th District, and it got a lot of press. It was a really cool ad. seemed really cool. I actually saw that and subscribed to her email list. It may have, I think it was actually last year when this happened. And then, for whatever reason, the DCCC despite having this candidate that had raised tons of money off of this ad, had a great candidate in the race, decided to go ahead and push the mayor of Lexington, another Democrat, but more establishment Democrat, to enter that race. Um, And I thought it was really interesting because Amy McGrath, who is that female fighter pilot, had a great story where she wrote her congressman trying to get the rules changed so that women could go um, and do that and become fighter pilots. Um, he had, just had a great story was on the ground flying or excuse me was flying planes to protect new york on 9-11 um and for whatever reason the democratic establishment didn't like her and i don't think it was i don't think she was our revolution or justice democrats endorsed or anything but they just wanted the mayor of lexington to join this race against the republican andy barr <clears throat> and so the mayor of lexington joins the race uh, it's going for a while, and then the establishment kind of backed off, and eventually, at the last minute, the mayor did um, some attacks on McGrath's record. They said that she was kind of a carpetbagger because she had moved to Kentucky to run for Congress. She pointed out that Kentucky was her home. She had just been living away for a while because of the military, and she ended up winning, which I think is really exciting. Um, but I don't—this is just another thing theme i guess here where the democratic party has oftentimes tried to push um a less progress or a more progressive um voice away even though they're fundraising well and they're doing great things another instance i've heard of this recently and this one has not gotten nearly as much coverage was that tom perez who's the chair of the dnc went up to new york and endorsed andrew cuomo in his primary battle against progressive activist and former sex in the city actor cynthia nixon Um, And I thought that was really interesting because though he said, oh, it's because I have a personal connection to Cuomo, um, he went ahead and endorsed him in this very spirited primary that seems like a lot of progressive voters who he might alienate by doing that are going to end up voting for Nixon in New York. Okay, so now on to our next story. So this week, I believe President Trump uh, has released a controversial executive order dealing with abortion. Uh, Jack knows more about the specifics of the bill than I do. So Jack, why don't you talk a little bit about how this will be affecting women? Yeah, so this is something that hasn't gotten nearly as much coverage as it should because like last year, there were all these rallies trying to save Planned Parenthood from what was inevitably a defunding of it via the um, attempted Which Obamacare we were lucky appeal. enough to uh, go to the rallies there as well. Yeah, we got to go to a Planned Parenthood rally in D.C. Um, while they were trying to defund it. But this has not gotten as much attention. This basically would defund Planned Parenthood through an executive action. or um, So basically, it means that it doesn't have to pass through Congress and the administration can roll out a rule. Um, there's a good chance it'll have to go through court, but courts have upheld a similar Reagan-era rule in the past. So what this does 
is there's something called Title Ten where, um, and I may I may be getting some of this wrong, but you can read up on it a little bit. But basically, what the way it does is it provides wellness exams, um, comprehensive contraceptive services, and other things, uh, screenings for cancer um, and and STDs and such for both men and women. And that's a little quote from the NBC News that we'll have in the, the description here. But it provides funding to um, organizations that do that. And one of the organizations that does that is Planned Parenthood. In fact, Planned Parenthood actually makes up about 40% or takes care of about 40% of the 4 million people who rely on this. And what this would do is it would ban funding from going towards any organization is what they say, any organization that refers patients to abortions, talk talks about abortions, or has any references to abortions in anything they do. So the big problem with that is that Planned Parenthood has something called um, PPACT or PPACT, which is their um, political action committee. And that is their political wing that advocates for funding for Planned Parenthood, for women's rights, for women's health care, reproductive rights, and other things among abortion rights. So Basically, this would either require a gag rule so Planned Parenthood cannot talk about abortions, and I believe they wouldn't be able to perform abortions. I may be wrong about that, um, and which is a very small portion of their services, but it's mm-hmm. something that a lot of women rely on. Um, and therefore, if they continue to do that, if they want to have those services or even refer to abortions ever, they cannot get any federal funding, which would likely gut maybe kill the organization yeah and you know there are a lot of people who are against federal funding for Planned Parenthood and what they like to say is oh you know there are other organizations and areas that will pick up the slack but a lot of times in really rural areas Planned Parenthood is the only you know opportunity and it's really really sad because in states like Louisiana um, there are no abortion clinics within a normal you know uh, distance and people have to drive like very, very far distances. And a lot of times, you know, if you're in uh, a lower income situation where you have work, like that is not feasible being able to take that much time off to go do it. Um, and so with this bill, we're doing that to Planned Parenthood, it would absolutely have a ginormous effect on uh, all the women in this country that use it for cancer screenings and mammograms and, and uh, SCD prevention. So, you know, I really hope that Wait, has this has the executive order already been issued? No, so there it's open to comment um, okay. sixty days before being published, and this is actually something that's just been leaked to the press. It's mm-hmm. not anything that's been officially announced yet. Yeah, but one good um, f- step in the fight for reproductive rights this week is that in Ireland um, there was a very controversial constitutional ban on abortion, and it was a, an exit poll, I, th- I believe, that about sixty percent of people are supporting it, um, which is really exciting. Um, you know, there were a lot of there were even Irish people in other countries that flew back to Ireland specifically so that they could vote um, to repeal this ban. Um, and so this is just an example of there's the fight for reproductive rights is going to go on and people need to keep staying passionate about it and, um, you know, being active in the fight. And something that we have to pay a lot of attention to is the fact that abortion we kind of take for granted is legal in our country since Roe versus Wade. And there's the. Um, clause that you can't place something about an undue burden, I think, on trying to receive an abortion, but red states and at this point, the federal government um, are trying to do that. And they've been very successful to the point, as Rachel pointed out, where in many states, there's only one abortion provider in the entire state or people that live in rural areas have to drive hours and hours to receive an abortion. Sometimes they have to just drive across state lines um, or even further. So 
it is very difficult to receive a safe and legal abortion in the United States. There are very few providers. There's not that many places you can turn. And Planned Parenthood is one of those places, even though most of what they do is screenings um, for STDs, cancer screenings, mammograms, anything like that, um, contraceptives. Um, some of what they do is abortion. And it's even though it's legal and the majority of the country does identify as pro-choice, whether or not they're personally against abortion, they identify in terms of politics as pro-choice. Um, and it's very sad to see that the administration is trying to gut that, considering the majority of people are on progressive side on this issue. And one thing that really is really important to keep in mind is that banning abortion doesn't end abortions. It just ends safe abortions. And women, you know, if they don't have access to uh, reproductive you know, healthcare in terms of uh, terminating pregnancies, you know, that doesn't mean that they're not going to get an abortion. That means they're going to be doing it very unsafely and, you know, are most likely going to pass away from that. Our privacy policy is updating. You might have gotten a lot of these emails recently, and um, this actually has a lot to do with something that happened in American politics five or six years ago, and Rachel's going to go into that. Um, so, Rachel, why is it that people keep getting emails and everything else about privacy settings updating and who was it that um, kind of was the precursor to that. Okay, so going back to, uh, I think it's 2013, uh, Edward Snowden, um, did he work for the NSA, Jack? Mm -hmm. Okay, yes. So he released to WikiLeaks, um, you know, data and proof that the NSA had been spying on its own citizens, including, uh, and citizens of other countries, which upset a lot of people. And, you know, if you've seen the meme, uh, oh, the FBI man in your computer, that's really what that stems to. Uh, and so since then, people have been a lot more aware of privacy pol excuse me, privacy policies and such, because I know that, you know, previously, whenever I would agree to what, you know, you just scroll to the bottom and click, oh, I've read. And, but I think now people are becoming a lot more aware of that. And so uh, obviously with the 2016 election, um, Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg have had, to, he's had to testify in Congress and to, you know, other countries um, for the data that Facebook had uh, sold to other companies, um, which is becoming more and more of a controversial issue. Uh, and so the EU, uh, because of this, has established the General Data Protection Regulation, um, which kind of revamps laws um, around privacy rights. Um, and what it also does is that it requires uh, technology companies, uh, they have to have the, you know, the active consent of customers before they're using that data, which is something uh, which I guess is what has been on all of our computers and you know emails for all the sites that we use. So can you kind of explain a little bit more like I understand Edward Snowden obviously released um, what the NSA had been doing and it was upsetting to a lot of people, including me and a lot of people thought that that was unconstitutional what they're doing with FISA courts and um, such and that's made a little bit of news recently but how exactly is it, um, Edward Snowden, that was five years ago, I guess, at this point. So what, how did that lead to kind of the regulation that's going on in Europe now that has made basically everyone in the world's privacy rights a lot better just because companies are updating mm -hmm. it, not just for their European customers, but for their American customers and everyone else? Yeah. So previously, a lot of like businesses have wanted to have less regulation about this type of thing and um, get rid of tougher rules about it. But because of Edward Snowden bringing attention and light to this issue, people uh, have, you know, lobbyists and political um, action committees have become more aware of this and have been fighting for it for a while. 
So in other news, the nuclear summit that has been hailed for a long time with between Trump and North Korean leader Kim Jong-un has been canceled by the president after North Korea asked the U.S. to alter its tone, said that um, disarming nuclearly completely was off the table. That followed a lot of Trump administration officials saying that they wanted to look at the Libya model where basically the regime gets overthrown and its leaders killed, which I thought was really stupid, even if that is what we want to happen for from the administration perspective for them to go out and say that because Kim obviously is not going to agree to something if they think that they're going to go in there and topple his regime, whether or not we want to do that or not, which we probably do. But at least it just it's really stupid to go out there and say it publicly. But that has been canceled. There are Republicans, including in our state of Tennessee, Diane Black, a candidate for governor, and Marsha Blackburn, the Republican candidate for Senate against Phil Bredesen, who had nominated the president of the United States for the Nobel Peace Prize for what he's been doing with North Korea, which is basically just bombastically tweeting and threatening fire and fury, hoping it works out. And this is proof as we could have expected that it did not work out and that we're not really going anywhere with this. And if we do, it's because of the South Korean and North Korean leader getting along. The president does nothing but um, exacerbate the problems there. Exactly. Um, And so before we finish, Jack and I want to bring light to the school shooting that happened uh, in Indiana this week. It hasn't received a ton of media coverage uh, because no no student died, but it's still important to bring up, especially in the fight for gun control to save our students. Um, I believe three students were injured. A uh, The shooter came in and he, I think he had two guns. Um, and thankfully, a teacher was able to wrestle him away and they have that taken care of. Um, but it is still important because a school shooting happened and anytime that happens, we want to bring light to it which unfortunately is way too much and we don't get the opportunity every time. We want to thank you guys for joining us. Follow us on all of our social media with the links below, like our Facebook page. Check out our website, progressiveu.com. I think Rachel mentioned at the beginning, we have a new section called Our Portfolio and it has a link to all of the interviews we've done. So even if you've listened to those, you can send those, especially to Tennessee voters because those are mostly the people we've interviewed as Tennessee politicians so they can figure out who they're going to vote for in the upcoming August and November elections. Again, thank you guys so much for joining us and we'll see you next week. We also have an interview with the Knox County um, Democratic candidate for mayor that will be coming out sometime next week as well. Thanks so much. Bye.